everyone. Welcome to your newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your host, myself, Laura Matsu, and my husband, Bernhard Gunther. And on this episode, we are going to talk about dark triad personality types and occult forces. For, for those who have never heard this term before, it's a good term to know. And the dark triad is basically a specific personality type, uh, t- type that's made up of m- m- uh, negative personality traits namely narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. And we're going to especially link this into how it relates to the topic of occult forces. So first, we're going to define what is a dark triad personality type, what are the three main traits, and how do these personality traits become more emboldened with social media, which is something that has been discussed a lot recently. So we're going to also discuss how dark triad personality types can be used as quote-unquote agent smiths of the matrix, and we're going to define what that is. And then we're going to lastly in the first hour share, like how can we share our gifts and talents and thoughts with the world without being dragged down or affected by the the extreme amounts of these types, especially online. Uh, And in part two, we're going to really link this with um, the psycho-spiritual work. So we're going to talk about how these dark triad personality types can be used as a perfect vector for occult forces, how that operates, how our own thought projections can also relate to the psychic attacks that we received. And we're going to also talk about um, different types of evil that operate in the world via Steiner's model and how this relates to also elemental forces. And again, how can you protect yourself spiritually from uh, these types of people and these types of energies? So before we get into that, um, I just want to share, for those who are new to our podcast, we always do the first hour-ish for free. And then the second hour we have only for members on our website. So if you want to join I think it's what, like 11 bucks, 12 bucks a month or something? Uh, 11 bucks a month. $11 a month. Uh, You can become a member and you can have access to literally now 100 hours of over 100 podcasts we recorded where we go much deeper into the topics that we discuss on the first hour. So if you'd like to join us, you can join at veilofreality.com slash membership and you can immediately get access to over 100 hours, bonus hours of over the 100 podcasts we recorded so far. So yeah, let's just go right into it. So, you know, this podcast is really for anyone who's noticed that as the darkness, as the trauma has increased in the world, people, especially online, have gotten very hostile, cruel, sadistic. It's like it was really bad before. It's even worse now. Um, Or anyone who's maybe been attacked or threatened or shamed online by a random stranger or maybe even someone you know is the type of person who would do this. Um, And this happens especially online, and we'll describe why that is. Or maybe you're someone who's really tried earnestly to put yourself out there, to share your work with the world, but you've noticed that there's people who literally just get off on hurting other people and trying to drag you down. So if you're curious, what is that? We have a lot of great info on this podcast for you. And then the last people who I really want to say that this podcast is very much for is the people who are scared to share their thoughts online because Mm -hmm. they're worried about the backlash because that's one of the main ways that I think 
occult forces and kind of the agent Smiths of the, uh, of the matrix try and shut us up through our own minds and our own self-censorship. So if that's you, if you've been thinking about any of these issues, this episode will have a lot of good points for you. Yeah. So why are we talking about this? <clears throat> well, as you just hinted at it, I mean, we have seen this increasingly uh, pathology being, uh, being normalized more and more in the way we communicate, especially online, you know? And in my line of work, having been talking about, you know, very controversial topics for over 20 years, even before social media started, I started off on MySpace and Facebook and then expanded on Twitter, YouTube, all of that. I'm not even on Instagram, you're on Instagram as well, which seems to be quite a interesting place as well. Um, but I've noticed over time, you know, I've been used to being attacked for certain views I have. And usually most often these uh, move into personal attacks. But I've definitely seen an increase of very vile, vicious personal attacks of really wanting people wanting to hurt others. Uh, they have become very nasty, especially over the past three years. Mm-hmm. There's an increase of polarization. We see it on a political level of, we have talked about this, of the left versus right and right versus left. Both are kind of fall, can easily fall into these dark triad types, um, which we're going to define more shortly. But the reason we want to talk about, because I think you really hit the nail on the head, what you said at the at the end, a lot of people are actually now afraid or scared to engage or speak out or speak just even their mind or their opinions and views because they don't want to get shamed. They don't want to get attacked or threatened. Yeah. You know? And I understand that. You know, I've been in the trenches uh, basically for over 20 years on the front line, so to speak, speaking out, putting myself online with my views, my own personal experiences and yeah definitely controversial views and been attacked left and right accused very nasty even death threats and all of that it doesn't feel good you know as much as i like to admit or like to say i don't care what other people think on some level and that's what we want to talk about it affects you energetically there's a psychic it's like a psychic weapon that hits you and can drag you down and in the past i used to engage or you know kind of almost out of my well-meaning intention, trying to make people understand, not really understanding what I was dealing with, mm-hmm. right? And now, really with the emergence of this idea of uh, this concept of the dark triad, it makes a lot of sense of what is really going on and what, how people engage, especially online, because a lot of people in the way they communicate online is nothing they would ever do in person, in face with the other person. Yeah, because so people basically come to me a lot and they tell me I'm scared of sharing whatever. It can be any gift, whatever they're doing, their work with the world. They can be anything from a natural path to like a yoga teacher to like even like just some sort of uh, business coach or something. And they're scared of sharing themselves, especially online, because they're scared of what people might say. And I also think in large part, you know, it's not really necessarily constructive feedback that I think they're scared of, which is rarely happens with these personality types, which basically never happens by definition with these personality types. They're scared of dealing with trolls who tend to be dark triad types like this because it is really draining. It can really get you down. It can make you think, oh, it's better just to not speak out, not say anything because I'm just going to have to deal with this nonsense. I've definitely been there many times. But I really think in order for us to become spiritual warriors, we need to be able to handle these battles because the occult forces loves to use these kinds of people to shut you up, to make you be quiet. And so, you know, I've talked about the spiritual war on other previous recent podcasts, but I see this spiritual war being fought 
psychologically, especially through pathological personality types like the ones we're about to describe. So understanding the dark triad personality type can really help you navigate these kind of troubled relationships that we're dealing with in all spheres of life, because we do live in an age of where there's an increasingly amount of what the mainstream would call mental illness. And we're going to talk about the main factors that we see. And the issue with what's going on is that these traits are often rewarded in the era we live in. So it's like they're getting they're getting rewarded for what is meant to be a life-stealing person, which is a form of evil, essentially. Yeah. So let's just yeah. define dark triad before we even go deeper. Exactly. So let's dive into it. So as you mentioned in the beginning, basically the dark triad is a combination of three malevolent personality traits, and that is narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. So in a sense, you have to be understand that the combination of these three personality traits is not as severe as the personality disorder of each isolated, of the mm -hmm. full-blown narcissist, the full-blown psychopath, the full-blown Machiavellianist. Machiavellian that's not a, I don't think that's a personality disorder, but if but you were a full-blown narcissist psychopath, that's, that's a, that's a uh, malignant narcissist, exactly. actually. I mean, that's yeah, how it is, but still. So we want to define it. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, narcissism. And we want to talk about this later as well, because narcissism is definitely an epidemic nowadays. At the same time, it has also become a more popular topic that is also often misused. So basically everyone I don't like or responds to what I want is a narcissist fallacy, as I call it. But still, narcissism is definitely an epidemic, especially on social media and where it's being normalized, even cherished, even promoted. Rewarded. Rewarded, exactly. So narcissism in a nutshell is a soul sickness with individuals exhibiting entitlement devaluation of others, and lack of empathy. Ultimately, narcissists suffer deep self-esteem wounds. They are highly insecure, actually, and alienation from their true selves and have basically an inability to truly connect with others. Yeah. It's like a gaping hole where their true self would be that they cover up with a false persona that can be extremely convincing. And that needs to be fed with attention, admiration. Yes, and all you need of that. to feed the false persona, but the true self cannot be touched. Exactly. Now, Machiavellianism is inspired by the strategies in Niccolo Machiavelli's famous book, The Prince. It's all about manipulation, <laughs> that novel, basically. It promotes the idea that the ends justify the means, an approach that may be increasingly appealing in today's virtualized world. While this may seem less human, more like avatars, right? We're talking to a profile and most often a fake profile picked of fake names and all of that. It is also a normalized strategy towards success nowadays, right? We've seen this a lot as well. Fame and fortune at all costs in a world where, as I mentioned, pathologies have become normalized and are even promoted, ultimately lacking conscience and integrity. So it's highly manipulative. And the last of the triads, psychopathy, is based on a complete lack of conscience. Most often expresses itself violently, manipulative, and sensation-seeking. They're ruthless. They can be, you know, as we all know from Hollywood movies, maybe serial killers, but even more so, even high-ranking members in society as well, especially people in power, CEOs, celebrities, influencers, politicians, Wall Street traders, even the quote-unquote normal guy next door, uh, because they have a very convincing mask of sanity that can cover up their uh, internalized evil. And they're also driven 
uh, similar to the narcissist, but even more so intolerable emptiness inside and have a desire for omnipotent control. Control And psychopaths are often uh, recast as heroes, actually, in our pathological society as well. Again, we have to understand the reason why these uh, personality type, you know, pathological personalities thrive nowadays and the dark triad is because these um, behaviors have more or less become normalized and are even promoted and cherished in our pathological society. Yeah, so we have to understand that these are more subtle than the full-blown personality disorder, but they're still identified by disagreeableness, dishonesty, lack of empathy, and social exploitation. So they see others as a way to get their own needs fulfilled, and just they, they're all transactional, basically. And also, we have to understand with the psych psychopathic aspect of it, there's a uh, aspect of sadism. So they get off on making others feel the pain that they really do feel deep inside, but they don't want to feel. So they're just the pain when they lash out at you, when they just want to, they say something awful to you that you've never heard anyone in real life say to anyone before. Like they'll say really awful things to complete strangers. And why is that? It took me so long to get this because, you know, we all tend to project our personality traits onto other people. We think that other people hold the same qualities as we do. And so I just confused me. Why would someone get off on making random strangers feel terrible online? Because that's how they feel power. That's how they feel glee. They've made you suffer in the same way that they're suffering inside. And that makes them feel good. It literally gives them a dopamine hit. I hate to say it. So some people basically get off on getting dopamine hits and uh, by attacking others. And this is especially prevalent online. We need to understand that, especially because there's an ano anonymous factor to social media, this allows dark triad types to basically attack, threaten, shame others with little to virtually no consequences. So the people who have this sadistic personality trait you can't just go off into the regular world and do this to people without eventually probably getting the cops called on you if it escalates, right? You can in little passive aggressive ways, but I mean really going out and personally attacking people the way they do online. So it's not socially acceptable in society and they have to suppress that desire, but that desire has to go somewhere. And then online becomes the perfect playground for them to act out these sadistic um, the sadistic <clears throat> desires without any consequence. It's literally like amazing for them. Yeah. So there's been, yeah, you want to say something? Yeah, no, I just want to just say, because it's very important to understand these dark triad types, as you mentioned, are a bit more subtler than the full-blown counterparts. That's why it's sometimes hard to detect because they're highly manipulative, very skilled in that sense, or skilled in manipulation. Yeah. And they may even appear to champion a, 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 a cause, the virtue signal, but only to exploit it to their own needs. Yes, That's exactly. why you see, you see dark triads even in the truther movement. People speaking out oh, against the matrix yeah. and all of that. You see it on the on left. On all sides of the spectrum. Everywhere, on the left, uh, leftist political spectrum, on the conservative right political spectrum, in religious groups, Christians, all of that. Anywhere where there's anywhere, power. Anywhere there's power. Uh, but they infiltrate almost, uh, also from an occult perspective, we're going to go into this deeper. But it's very important to understand. That's why it's so hard sometimes to... Uh, identify or notice at, at first because they may appear on the, on, on the same side like you are, so to speak, but yeah. they're driven by a whole complete different motivation. Okay, so let's go into the study that has been quoted a lot, which basically studied 
the traits of a troll. And the title of this article is Research Reveals Motives of Internet Trolling. So this is done by Brigham Young University. I'm reading an article about it, summarizing it on Neuroscience News. And basically they outline as social media and other online networking sites have grown in usage, so too has trolling, an internet practice in which users intentionally seek to draw others into pointless and at times uncivil conversations. That's the main point is, um, you know, you've been dragged into a pointless conversation when it's just going in circles. Like you address what someone says, they move the goalposts because they're not really interested in having a conversation with you. They just want to drain your energy, basically. So they talk about this research from Brigham Young University, which was recently published in the Journal of Social Media and Society, which, which basically spoke about the motives and personality characteristics of internet trolls. And then it says, through an online survey, survey completed by over 400 Reddit users, a study found that individuals with dark triad personality traits, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy combined, combined with Schadenfreude, a German word meaning that one derives pleasure from another's misfortune, were more likely to demonstrate trolling behaviors. And they said, people who exhibit these traits known as a dark triad are more likely to demonstrate trolling behaviors if they derive enjoyment from passively observing others suffer. So they get enjoyment from observing others suffer, basically, um, said Pamela Brubacher, um, co-author of the study. They engage in trolling at the expense of others. The research found that individuals who experience pleasure from the failures or shortcomings of others consider trolling to be an acceptable online behavior. So they think it's acceptable. That's the main thing to understand. And they think it's totally okay. And it said women who participate in the study view trolling as dysfunctional, while men were more likely to view trolling as functional. So they're doing it because they think, oh, this is just what we do online. It's, it's a healthy behavior in this patho pathological environment. And it says this behavior may happen because it feels appropriate to the medium, said Church. So heavy users of the platform, of social media platforms, may feel like any and all trolling is quote unquote functional simply because it's just what people do when they go on social media. The researchers say it's important to note that those who possess Schadenfreude, am I saying that right? Schadenfreude. Yeah, you're saying, so Schadenfreude <laughs> often consider trolling to be a form of communication that enriches rather than impedes online deliberation. So they literally think that this enriches the online discourse. Because of this view, they're not concerned with how their words or actions affect those on the other side of the screen. To them, trolling isn't perceived as destructive, but merely as a means for dialogue to take place. The study found no, here's an, an interesting note in the article, and it says, the study found no correlation with being outspoken online and trolling behavior. So this is not just being outspoken and sharing unpopular opinions. This is specifically targeting other people as a and they think that this is a means of dialogue. The findings noted that people who actively speak out and voice their opinions didn't necessarily engage in trolling behaviors. And then they just give some advice, which I think is very useful. Remember when you when who you are when you go online, said Church. It helps when we think of others online as humans, people with families and friends like you and me, people who feel deeply and sometimes suffer. We forget their identities as actual people, seeing them instead as merely usernames or avatars. It becomes easier to engage in trolling. Brubacker suggests approaching online discourses with an open mind in order to understand various perspectives. 
Digital media gives us the power to connect with people who have similar and different ideas, interests, and interests and experiences from our own. As we connect with people online, we should strive to be more respectful of others and others' point of view, even when the other's perspective may not align with ours. Each of us has the power of influence for good online. We can do this by exercising mutual respect. So that's the main thing is I also have to applaud people who I, I see people doing an effort to have online communications respectfully and in a way that's uh, respectful of other people's opinions. Um, so I see people seeing this happening and making an effort to do differently, which I think is what we each need to do in our own lives. Yeah, that's all fine and good. Idealistically, I can see that as well. But it's also, I think you have to understand to appeal to people's conscience in this case is with the dark tried types is not going to happen because yeah. they lack conscience, they lack compassion, like you, the the research showed or the review that uh, they justify, they think that's ex uh, acceptable behavior. This yeah. is what you do. And exactly. the reason they justify it also because they literally, again, the key points, they get off on it. There's mm -hmm. something they feed off of it and that goes deep in the occult perspective on a maybe just biochemical perspective. They get, do off, uh, they get dopamine hits. Exactly. Uh, by attacking others. And then especially when they engage and, and create more, uh, you know, drama and all of that, they feed off of lower frequencies of fight, uh, you know, of provocation and projection and all of that. So it's very important to keep that in mind. Yeah. It's but also I, important. Yeah, uh, I want to also address that because I've been exposed to you know, dealing with that for many, many years. And now I've gotten my boundaries clear as well. We're going to talk about shortly about what to do with uh, these types because sometimes it's hard to detect as well but also they tend to then also try to get others engaged as well so people who are then actually connect to the dark triad types who kind of match that darkness or that frequency and it comes as a group entity like a group shadow projection luge fest so they get off of then getting others uh, into this whole a mess as well and kind of attack uh, one person. And you see this, you know, on various social media platforms. I think it's most relevant on Twitter from what I've seen, uh, on Facebook as well, but uh, you have more control over who comments and whatnot. Instagram as well, you've experienced it. This is an all on social media in varying degrees. Um, and it's very important to understand also what you just mentioned in the, in the research as well, that is mostly, you know, not always, but mostly anonymous people who hide behind a fake profile pic and the fake name, well, the nameless people. And that's kind of an issue. I remember like Jordan Peterson said, like even on, on Twitter, because he gets, he's dealing with all these pathological individuals getting at him, mostly anonymous cowards, as I call them, you know, and he even appealed to Elon Musk there should be no anonymity. Like people need to register with the real name, and obviously people get upset. Uh, some level I can understand with like, oh, people should be able to be anonymous, and then people pull these excuses. Well, I don't want to have my public opinion be seen by my family or by my boss, my work, and all of that. Fine and good, but a lot of people use that anonymity, anonymity, anonymity. Anonymity. Sorry, you're making me mess it up too. Anonymity. <laughs> As, use, as an excuse to engage in the dark tribe, to engage in the projections and attacks. Right? Yes, exactly. Because they, the, the main thing is they want to be able to exercise sadism against others with no consequence. They don't yeah. want to have to deal with any repercussions. There are consequences karmically, energetically, that they have to deal with at some point, but they don't want to deal with any immediate consequence. I have to say, though, 
you know, speaking of the point that how these types of personalities are rewarded in society is we really live in this era that rewards the more clickbaity, the more offensive, the yeah. more views it gets. Like, you know, I know people, some people listen to podcasts, I was told us are big fans of it, but Andrew Tate is a good example. A lot of these kind of popular right-wing conservative influencers. I mean, I've seen it on the left too. Obviously people listen to this podcast, but the thing is, is these types of personality traits get engagement actually they just rip off other people's work they just say things to upset people to offend people to hurt people and this is what gets clicks this is what gets views this is what gets energy so as i see a large majority of them definitely just faceless nameless profile i've dealt with like literally thousands of those i've also seen that if people use their real name and use their real uh picture and they they can easily also rise to the top as influencers demonstrating these traits because this kind of clickbaity oh it just made me so angry this kind of offensive like like tweeting culture that we live in is also encouraging these types to gain success because as long as we respond to it as long as we act out and get infuriated with these people and oh my god i can't believe this person said this they're doing that to offend you because it gets them views it gets them readership it gets them attention my best then example th- th- is andrew tate yeah then we hook into then we hook into the same virus that they're taking over so um yeah what do you and i also want to touch as well that the reason why because I did an interesting experiment recently. Um, I did this astrology post about Sinead O'Connor. I was very moved by her death. You can just go to my Instagram and look it up and read it. Um, and it got so, um, it became a very polarizing topic, meaning most people appreciated it. I want to note that. And thank you for the people who did. But then people were really lashing out. Oh, Sinead O'Connor is a celebrity. I can't believe that she was awful. And how dare you post a picture of a celebrity who took the vax and attacking me for writing about her and all of this nonsense, right? And just Wetiko just flooded onto that post and people started arguing with each other. But the one thing I noticed is when I turned off comments on that post, people wouldn't message me privately with those same thoughts that they would feel they would feel very comfortable expressing the same nasty thoughts in a comment. So there's something about the lack of relational information that people pick up online. And when they just do it on a comment thread, they just think they're just putting it on a wall. They don't think that there's any impact on anyone involved. They just project their nastiness into the comment section and they don't, they just feel good about it. They walk away and it's all good, you know, but these people won't even actually have the bravery to message me privately and to have a conversation. So that's one step. But then I also notice this relational experience. So when we're speaking to someone, we're picking up their, um, we're picking up their mood by their subtle facial mo- movements. We're picking up the state of their nervous system. We're picking up how interested or disinterested. We're getting feedback from their face and from their nervous system all the time based on what we said. But when you're online, you're literally removed from all of that information. So you don't get that feedback. So for example, if I went up to someone in person and was like, you're an idiot, how could you think that? I would see their face screw up into an angry into an angry um, expression. And if I'm relatively connected and empathic, I would feel that anger towards me. And that would be my feedback to be like, oh, don't be an asshole to people. 
but they don't get any of this relational feedback. And that's why they freely do it more online because that's the, how they can do it without realizing, oh, I just hurt that person. Oh, that person might punch me in the face. Like this relational feedback is actually essential to our social intelligence. Yeah, and even not only I would say the dark triad types, the more extreme cases, but even putting the mirror on myself or on, on, on the listener, so to speak, where do you tend to comment on other people's posts and you know, say things you would never dare to say them in person, face to face. And, and maybe you claim you do, but it's a whole different uh, energetic setup if you're sitting face to face with somebody and really tell them what you want to tell them. Yeah. And what you shared reminded me as you were sharing how people are more courageous, you know, anonymously um, said, putting their comment on a public thread. It's like an anonymous crowd screaming from the crowd, you know, towards the stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, they would never say to the person on stage in person, right? It's always safer from the masses of the crowd, similar on a thread where other thousands of other people can comment as well. Yeah. So they they feel just way more courageous that way. Yeah. Um, and that's how they hide themselves. Um, but I think the relational aspect is very key point, especially nowadays. You know, where we have a lot of uh, antisocial behavior that is becoming normalized with the advent of the internet. People losing more and more relationship skills. And hence, you know, you know, don't think about consequences anymore. I think who was it was Mike Tyson who gave the quote or something like that, how people just get away with saying things on the internet, uh, you know, or trolling that would never get away in person and without consequences. Uh, but there are always consequences, even on a karmic level, energetic level. We want to also talk about these thought projections and how they turn into forces, elementals, and all of that, and usually come back around as well. So, you know, I want to also share about how these types can be can be taken over by Watiko and then what they do at, well is they'll infect you with Watiko and how that can kind of operate. So say, I mean, I'm just going to use a personal example that I just touched on after I made that post, you know, I shared about Sinead O'Connor's astrology, what I saw from evolutionary astrology perspective. There's a part of me that's like I don't want to even post anymore. Why bother? Why share what I think? There's just these, I hate dealing with these kind of just pathological people. It's so draining. I get into poor me. I get into my own victimhood. And then that's exactly what Watiko operating through these pathological people wants you to do. It just wants you to shut up. Shut up. Don't say anything. Sh like shut your mouth. Never share anything that's important to you. It doesn't want you to share your light. It doesn't want you to share your talents. So we need to see that this is also an aspect of Watiko, where these types are infected by Watiko and trying to get you to not share your gifts or to speak out against anything. And then they infect you by Watiko through making you self-censor yourself because it can become such an unpleasant experience to deal with these pathological people. We can feel drained. We can feel disheartened. We can feel like, why bother? Why should I do this? And self-censor ourselves. So we need to see that these forces are actually... If we're getting kind of attacked by these people, especially if we're just expressing a perspective that goes against the status quo, it's usually a sign we're on the right track. And we need to use these people as in tests of our own initiation, of our own strength, rather than just let like collapse from them. Exactly. Um, excellent. So let's talk about, because one of the big aspects of the dark triad um, Hold on, let me back up first, because as you were sharing that, actually, I, I remembered even in my own work over the years, even before I met you, when I was under vicious personal attack, 
online, you know, was really intense. Um, also cult attacks through people, psychic attacks, very vicious death threats and all of that. I literally had that injection in my thought. I'm like, I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm going to even to the point, delete my website, my work. I'm done with this. I can't take that anymore. It really put me down. Yeah. So I can see that way to go infection, how that keeps people silent because they don't want to deal with the madness. They don't want to, they are afraid to speak out. And that's how the matrix works by intimidating you through other people in order to keep you quiet. Yes. So let's talk about these, you know, let's let, let's spend a little bit on the different types of narcissism and how that relates to it. So yeah. I know that narcissism gets really thrown around a lot. You know, I just see it as a specific predominant personality type that we have on the planet right now. Astrologically, interestingly, the Pluto and Leo generation, which are the boomers, have the main shadow of narcissism. And then interestingly, a lot of them have passed that on to their children. So this is like laid out astrologically. There's a reason why it's happening. So, you know, there's an epidemic of narcissism, but there's also an epidemic of people using the term narcissism and just walking around and calling everyone a narcissist. So we want to just define what we mean by that and just different aspects of it to just add some clarity to that topic. Yeah, I think it's important because one of the aspects of the doctrines is narcissism, like you said for various reasons, narcissism has become more normalized, but it also has been abused. And I'm going to reference, uh, what I'm going to share is, is loosely also based on an article by Dr. Jonathan Shettle in some of his uh, uh, Twitter posts as well, because he made some really good points about narcissism, especially on social media and pop culture. Really, narcissism has, you know, everybody's blaming all manner of bad contact as or on the quote-unquote narcissist, abusive parent, narcissist, overbearing boss, narcissist, cheating boyfriend, narcissist. We see this a lot, <laughs> in you know, especially in our field as well. People who haven't really worked through a relationship stuff still have grudges against their ex. They always call their ex a narcissist, you know. Uh, but if you look deeper into it, you can see that the so-called narcissistic personality disorder has, you know, it's very complex, it's, you know, has very many different expressions. And in the end of the day, even Dr. Shettle says that there's such a thing as, quote, the narcissist, because narcissism is not one thing, but many things. In, in fact, most description of the narcissist on social media mistakenly conflate them with all kinds of other things. Um, <clears throat> so from the psychodynamic tradition perspective, I want to be clear that you're reading Jonathan Shedler's article. Yes. Yes. That's, okay. what, that's yeah. what I said. Exactly. Yeah. In the psychodynamic tradition from which the term narcissism arose, narcissistic personality styles exist at different levels on the continuum of health pathology. So that's very important. We, we addressed, we mentioned these in previous episodes before. There's narcissism at a healthier level. There is healthy narcissism, actually, right? There's healthy self-confidence, healthy sense of self. Not all narcissism is patholo pathology. Then at a more neurotic level of personality organization, and then at a more disturbed borderline level of personality organization, and then at a still more disturbed psychotic level as well. So these distinctions are obviously lost in pop culture uh, that portray all narcissists, people as arrogant, self-inflated, and explosive when it's not at all the case. I can read the quote that he <laughs> says next. Yeah, so like that's here, I quoted... This is a great description, basically definition of the narcissistic personality. 
So he says, narcissistic, is Jonathan Shedler again. He says, narcissistic personality is characterized by the coexistence of contradictory feelings of superiority and grandiosity and feelings of vulnerability, emptiness, and inadequacy. In overt narcissism, we tend to see only one side of this inner conflict, the self-importance, the grandiosity, and entitlement. But internally, the person is torn between feelings of superiority and painful feelings of emptiness and unworthiness. The overt grandiosity defends against and masks the underlying feeling of emptiness, inadequacy, and inferiority. The person works continually to, show, to shore up their fragile sense of self and make use of others to support this effort. They need others as an audience to witness and affirm their importance. And this need can override the awareness that those recruited as their audience are also human beings with their own emotions, needs, vulnerabilities, and experiences. This interferes with developing the kind of mutual, genuine relationships that give life a sense of meaning and purpose that could counteract the inner sense of emptiness and deficiency. The result is that a person with a narcissistic personality dynamics can be surrounded by admirers, but starved emotionally in a sea of plenty. So yes. like they're kind of like this like endless black hole yes. where like no matter what you give them, no matter, even I see this online when you get roped into these conversations, no matter how kind and patient and you answer their questions, it's never good enough. It's just constant. They're just like this black hole, just sucking all the energy in the room out of it. Yeah. Exactly. So this is, we are, most people are familiar with the overt narcissism, self-importance, entitlements, you know, feeling superior and all of that and needing a lot of attention, showing off. Obviously, that's very normalized on social media. We see that every people feed off of attention, even these trolls feed off of that attention, right? Yes. Obviously, they want to be seen as that. But, you know, it's very important. Uh, and that's why I really brought up... Um, Jonathan Shedler's work here, and he describes very well the other side of the narcissism, which is more covert or what he calls vulnerable narcissism. Very interesting. And that's a lot of people fall into that as well, which may not seem narcissism, but it ties into what I've written about before, their self-importance, one aspect, overinflation, but also self-pity is an aspect of narcissism. You yeah. know, overly indulged, you know, feeling sorry for oneself and wallowing in misery and all of that. So he writes... Uh, in vulnerable or covert narcissism, in contrast, the narcissistic defense go against inadequacy fail. Rather than experiencing themselves as superior, people with covert narcissism experience themselves and come across to others as def deflated, self-critical, and beaten down by life. Although they often represent symptoms of depression in clinical practice, they generally derive little benefit from treatment that specifically target these depressive symptoms. Beneath their suffering and self-criticism, clinicians often find that their inner life is dominated by fantasies of importance, success, and glory. Yeah. And I feel a lot of trolls are that as well. I think a lot of overt narcissists also deal with like unconscious or conscious jealousy and envy, envy yeah. they project on others. Yes. They are the main characters in their internal narratives, unappreciated, unrecognized, and denied their rightful place in the world. At different times, the same individual may present as either uh, a grandiose or vulnerable narcissist, depending on how well their defenses are functioning at that mm. point in time and how well the external world is cooperating with those defenses. So basically saying you can fall, yeah. these narcissists can become either like an overt or covert narcissist, and depending on you know, maybe yeah, the their, situation and context, life. right? Yeah, their life, yeah. 
Both manifestations of narcissism lead to difficulties in developing and maintaining obviously meaningful and lasting interpersonal connections. Ultimately, the personal life feels painfully empty. You know, so the yeah. chronic victim here that complains, the world is against me, I suffer, I don't have my uh, share in the world, you know, and then project on other successful maybe people or, you know, who are any based on envy and jealous, are actually suffering from um, covert narcissism. Well, when they see anyone who has something that they think that they deserve, whether it's a good job or a wife or a happy marriage or a husband or, you know, family or riches or whatever, there's a part of them that deeply believes that they're entitled to what they have, but without having to do any the hard mm -hmm. work for it, without having to develop the relational skills. And that's where it comes into this covert narcissism is like they live in this state where like they, they believe that they're entitled to the things that they envy in other people, but they don't do anything to actually move the needle into those areas of their right. lives. And I see this a lot, you know, in people. And I can even see when I went through extreme depression in 2010, 2011, it got really bad, you know, there was also something within me that was operating like this, where I was like, I was really miserable. I hated the world. I mean, I was struggling with extreme depression and drug addiction, but I hated the world and I just hated everything in the world. I was just similar to like this character Holden Caulfield and like Caxture in the Rye. That's like my mindset of just like people are fake. I hate this world, you know, very nihilistic. And I could see that it was just because I, I, I was not doing anything with my life. I was deeply traumatized. I couldn't function. And there's a part of me that just hated people who represented what I knew deep down inside that I didn't have. And now I see this is very prevalent online, especially another thing that came to mind is like this kind of right wing red pill, red pill men community where they're constantly talking shit about women and women with high body counts and like women don't value men anymore. They're only after, you know, there, there's this like yeah, large yeah. projection towards women in general coming from a lot of these kind of online trolls in the right wing red pill community. And they actually feel they're entitled, they're entitled to yeah. a beautiful relationship with a beautiful woman without having to have any relational skills, any success, anything going for them. And I think that's also kind of this covert narcissism as well. I see that in that in that circle. Or, or they see success only like, you know, it's all about money, wealth, success. You know, like yeah. Andrew Tate, a valuable man is success and rich and, and even though he has zero relational skills. Yeah, but then they, hate, then, then they hate on women who want men who are successful because exactly. they themselves are not successful. So it's like That's this vicious cycle. But I also want to point, you make a good point. Thank you for, you know, sharing from your own vulnerability. We have to also be, when we deepen this work, uh, put the mirror on ourselves because I can see myself in some of that as well based on narcissistic wounding. Again, there are vast different levels of narcissism. So we all exhibit some of them because none of us are completely healthy, connected to essence and self. We all have our own personality mask, wounds and traumas we act out and we can easily fall on, on the spectrum of overt or covert narcissism, not to the extremes, right? Uh, but we live in a world where pathology has become normalized and not when everyone, I, I, I have not met some one person who is not narcissistically wounded. What that means, narcissistically wounded, that uh, some of your childhood needs, necessary childhood needs were not met in childhood. Why? Because no parents are perfect. And then we try to seek it from others. We feel either overly self-important, entitled, or we self-diminish and fall into more self-pity and everybody's against us doom and gloom, victim, blame trap, and all of that. So there's vast different levels on that, but we all can easily exhibit some of these characteristics. 
Yeah, I would say also, since we live in a very, I forget who wrote it, he wrote about this epidemic of narcissism, I, I forget what, it was back in the 90s, I, I read it a while ago, um, but we have an epidemic of narcissistic parenting styles, of mm -hmm. narcissistic people, so a lot of us have been raised by parents who didn't love us for who we truly were, but loved us for some image that they projected into us, and that image had to do with their own wounding, so that's how we have this kind of intergenerational you know trauma of narcissism getting passed down because then what happens is is that you learn that i'm only valuable if i perform if i'm successful if i'm rich if i'm attractive because that's how my parents validated me mm -hmm. and then we fall in love with our false self instead of our true self so the work we need to do if you have any parent who you even think is slightly um, you know, on the narcissistic personality spectrum. I'm not talking about a full-blown disorder, but had traits. You know, you need to work on recovering that true self and really connecting to the pain, to the grief, to the emptiness and feeling into that in order to recover your true self within you because that part of your own inner light was never acknowledged, was never nurtured. So there's almost a reparenting that needs to go on for many people. And I think that's much more valuable than these guides online where they're telling you all oh, how to how to protect yourself from narcissists. And some of those techniques do work, you know, especially the gray rock method where you become as disinteresting as possible. But I have to say, the real inner work is really recovering the part of ourself that wasn't seen, that wasn't validated by the narcissistic parent. Because if you've gone into a narcissistic relationship with someone who has that personality type, chances are one of your parents was, that's why you fell in love with that person. And that's why it felt like love. So the deepest work that you can do if you've gone down this pathway is to really nurture that part of yourself that was never seen growing up and to heal that wound so that you no longer would even tolerate a relationship like that. Yeah, exactly. Because always and there's always a match, you know, in the sense when you attract narcissistic personality types into your life. Um, also, I would argue that most of the dark triad types who become more toxic, more psychopathic, more Machiavellian, I would even argue start out as covert narcissists, in a sense, not happy with themselves and envious of others, you know, uh, but still not enough confidence to even present themselves and then use anonymous or attack others, you know, troll others in order to project their pain, what they feel about themselves onto others. Well, it's also, a, it's also a vicious cycle because something I think about a lot, even in my own life is like, how many people are really just wasting their life away by just being engaged online all the time, constantly getting dragged into pointless arguments instead of nurturing their, their, their life's purpose, their relationships. And like, imagine what a black hole that turns into if that's what you've done for 10 years of your life and you have nothing around you that's meaningful to show for it. And then I see a lot of these people, you know, living miserable lives for quite a long time. It's only getting worse by the amount of time they spend online. And then it becomes this whole sea of people who are almost being sucked in by the energy vampire entity of social media in general and they're becoming more dark triad personality types with time because it's being rewarded, like they're being rewarded in that context specifically too. Being rewarded in, in, in terms of the dopamine hits? Yeah, they get, they get, they get followers, they get uh, attention yes, from yes. powerful people, beautiful women, like they get attention, yeah, yeah, yeah. they get everything they're not getting in their real life online, albeit through pathological means. Yes. And then it's getting worse with time. So yeah. 
So let's move on to how we deal with these types. So we're just going to offer our own practical advice from our own direct experience, literally dealing with thousands of these types. So (laughs) take it or leave it. Some will be valuable for you. Some will not. The number one thing I really want to point out is like, you have to understand your blind spots. You have to engage in your own inner work, shadow work, because you have to remember that people can really only hurt you if what they said tags into a mistaken belief about yourself. So if someone calls you a name and a part of you believes that it's true, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, but it will hurt more to the extent that you do believe that. So if you think you're stupid and someone calls you stupid, that will hurt much more. I also want to point out that, you know, it's normal to feel a little ouch or a little you or a little yikes when you deal with these people because you're dealing with some very pathological people who you normally wouldn't count encounter online unless you work in a psychiatric uh, institution, basically. So when someone says something awful to you, it's actually healthy and okay to be like, oh, you, that didn't feel good, right? But then if it really hurts you and sends you into a spiral for days afterwards, then it's your work to inquire. You could ask yourself questions like, what, what was it exactly this person said that hurt me so much? Does what they said remind me of anything I've heard before from someone in the past? Another thing you could inquire is like, is this something I secretly believe about myself? Where did I get belief, that belief from? Is that belief even true? Are there other aspects of this one thing that they said about me that I'm missing? Like, Because when people tend to say something insulting to us and there's a part of us that believes it's true, we will zero in on that and we'll just think that that's all we are. We're only this instead of looking at the bigger picture. Another thing I just want to add on to that too is that people will read into what you're saying, all sorts of intentions, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of words that you didn't say. And you have to be able to know what you meant, what your intent was and what you said, because 99% of the time, they're literally just going to pull a straw man argument, meaning they're going to make up something that you said to uh, basically get you angry so that you can get a, yeah. they can get a response out of you. That's, uh, yeah, I want to <laughs> address that as well, because what you said, I, Definitely speak from experience from over two decades, speaking online and especially on social media, the 99% of dog tried troll type attacks, they're attacking something I never said or implied when completely misconstruing and making something out. It's like a bait. It's a straw man argument, right? And that's how they try to rail you in. And the key point is, how, you know, let's talk about compassion because a lot of people uh, fall into the trap because not because they don't have compassion, but they have blind compassion. Mm -hmm. So compassion is necessary. So it means, you know, careful of your own reaction. You count, don't counterattack in this loose with other, with personal attacks and go off on the other person, whatever's working through the other person or their own trauma is just wanting that as they want you to engage, right? Mm. They get, they get off on that. You have to understand it's not about winning an argument. If you go, that was my blind, uh, but they put all these strawman arguments and, and baited me into, uh, you know, and even personal attacks. And I tried to make them clear, wrote this long post, but it was a waste of time because this is not what about. They don't want to understand. They were out for the louche, for the friction, for the fight, for for the drama. Right? The louche meaning the life force. The life force, exactly. You, yeah. That they won't get you from your reaction. So have compassion, but not blind compassion. What kind of compassion? You have to understand these dark triotypes are their own worst enemy. They literally live in a hell of their own making and they don't want to make sure you feel the misery they do, right? So you have 
compassion, but not blind compassion, which means making boundaries, not engaging, right? That is the key point, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. And also, I want to, uh, it reminds me on social media, you don't owe anyone uh, your attention. You don't, anyone, if somebody asks you questions, you don't have the responsibility, you don't anyone a debate or an answer and all of it. I also had to learn this the hard way. It's not like all strangers. And then people say, well, you're censoring me and this and that. No, I just choose not to engage with everyone. I don't take everybody's feedback. I have a life, I have my time. You don't owe anybody anybody's time or attention or engaging in debate. It's nothing to do with censoring. They can make their own case on their page and talk about whatever they want, but you don't owe anybody any time or attention. I think with me, you know, I always ask myself when I see a comment, is this person making a uh, argument in good faith? Meaning, do mm -hmm. they want to have a conversation here? And honestly, if you're aware enough to kind of spot the signs, most people don't. They're not, you know, and you can tell by the way they phrase it. Usually someone who has a genuine question phrases in a way that's respectful, that's not just insulting you right off the gate, you know? So that's what I've noticed. So it's important to have compassion, meaning like dark triad types and people who live in this, they're their own worst enemy. I hate to say it, but often their relationship sucks, their life sucks. They live in a hell of their own making and they want to make you feel the misery that they do. Yeah. So they're just passing on their misery to whoever will take it and it makes them feel good. I've even heard, it actually reminds me, you know, because a lot of really into, um, traumatized psychopaths, basically they want to make other people suffer in the same way they suffered in childhood. Like there's a, gl a glee they get out of it. So you have to really understand that they're trying to make you feel as bad as they feel all of the time, but they're probably not aware of, and they're just trying to drag you into it. And if on that note, if you suffer, as many people do, from a people pleaser program or I'm not good enough program, you will have a hard time with making boundaries. You know, you will take things very personally. You feel e easily overwhelmed. Sometimes, and I've learned that as well on social media, the most favorite button is a block and delete. And that's it. That's totally fine, right? Uh, you need to take off yourself. You need to be clear what works for you and what doesn't work for you, what you're available for and what not. Your own self-value or your own self-worth. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And a few more points I'd like to say too is number, th another point is prepare yourself mentally before you speak up and say something that you know will upset people. Like get into warrior mode, like get your emotions out of it, get your armor of God on, you know, <laughs> don't let your fear of what people may say to it prevent you from saying what you need to say. You have a voice for a reason. You're entitled to use it. You're entitled to speak up uh, for what you think. You know, if you don't speak up for what you think, you're never going to understand your own thinking to begin with. So, you know, you have to really understand that they really want to you to self-censor yourself. That's how Watiko works, by just creating this hostile environment, you know? So it's really important to prepare yourself mentally before you speak up, have boundaries around your social media use, you know, have boundaries around the way that you use it. Meaning like I have, I decide when I put down my phone, I have consciously made the choice. I don't care about what's going on on there. It's not part of my life. I don't bring it into my life. And if I do tend to do that, then what I need to do is do some work on myself because that person just showed me a part of my own shadow or my own shit that I'm not seeing. But generally speaking, this boundaries means your own boundaries. Like 
Can you just turn off the screen and walk away? Can you just take care of yourself and remember that this is not real life? This is just a random stranger on the screen who's trying to bring you down and to not give them that power over you that they want. And I also wanted that, uh, just to close off, that reminds me of another aspect we need to be very mindful of, I believe, and also be honest with ourselves, how we maybe not being subjected, you know, to dark tribe types through our own posts, but how we might actually indulge in reading other people's drama, mm-hmm, you know, on golf mm-hmm. in the comments. Yeah, like the uns- yeah. I, I sense this a lot. The un, you know, how do you call it? The unspoken, the uh, the silent watcher, so to speak. A lot of people go off on other people's drama just by reading it. So, you know, be honest with yourself. What part of you feeds off of just reading drama and people attacking each other and all of that be it on a political spectrum, in the truth of movement, whatever it may be, there's something that feeds off of drama and maybe feeding through you. Well, I think there's also almost like more covert dark triads who like get off on watching people troll others and insult others, but maybe don't engage it with it that much themselves, but they'll like like the comments and right. stuff, you know? Enough, yeah, exactly. it, but it's like a covert <laughs> version. Like they have the same drives, but they yeah, don't yeah. have the bravery to actually leave a comment, but they'll like every yeah. pathological, they, sadistic comment that, that's, that's, that's on there. They you almost know? vicariously live their own pathology through the trolls. Yes, exactly. By liking their comments or something exactly and then the really important point too is you have to keep in mind that anyone who goes around attacking others on social media and the reason i'm pointing out social media because this is where personality types like this thrive they don't actually thrive in real life because they would get punched in the face someone would spit on them someone would be (laughs) like f you they might get arrested you know there's actual repercussions but online not so much so they're doing it though online because it feels good They want to get you upset. They want to know that they can affect you. That feeds into their, uh, you know, desire for omnipotence to control others. So your main goal should be to not give them the dopamine hit. And the best way to do this is to ignore them completely. I know that's hard, but that's the only way to do it is just to ignore them completely. I've even seen people who are more pathological with that personality trip. I'll ignore them And this is like a next level thing, but they'll like go on my other social media profiles and that's, a you know, and kind of stalk me with what, with what they want me to respond to. So ignoring them completely, having good boundaries, you know, so the way that I see it is that we're, when you're opening yourself up online, you're literally opening yourself to the entire world. So you have to have a sense of what you are allow and what you won't allow. You have to be able to know that you have your own back, that you're going to protect yourself because it's really honestly abnormal to let everyone in the world have access to you all the time. And that's kind of what the internet is like saying that it's offering, you know? And I would argue that's extremely both psychologically and spiritually unhealthy for you to just let whoever have access to you at any time and let them ruin your day just by a single comment. So you should be allowed to, you're allowed to determine your boundaries, what you're available for, what you're not for. You're, you know, if you want to engage and share your work online, you have some say on your terms of, uh, of engagement. So I think that's really important because a lot of people I hear a lot of people in like kind of the truth community be like, oh yeah, we should open, we, we need to have open discussions. And it's really important we get into discussions about things. But and yes, I agree. Discussions are amazing. You can learn up so much, especially when it's two people who are t- speaking in good faith. They could really expand their perspective. They can clarify what they think a bit more. They can maybe change their mind. 
But let's be honest, most conversations that happen, especially with dark triad types, are not in an effort to understand the other's perspective, to open themselves up to different ways of thinking. It has nothing to do with that. So I'm available for discussions in person with people I love and respect and care about who want to talk about differing things. But if it's someone who wants to come right out of the gate and insult me and strawman argument me, then that's a waste of my time. So we need to be discerning with what we're what we're available for and we're not for, because even if your work is important, as your work grows, you're just going to meet more and more of these people. You're just going to get flooded with more yes. and more, and you're going to have to become stronger and stronger through engaging your own inner work, through having your own boundaries, so having your own awareness on how this operates. Because the main thing that Wetiko operates through is trying to silence us through these pathological people, which is something we're going to get way more into the next hour. Yes, beginning of the next hour, this is the end of the first hour. And uh, as Laura mentioned at the beginning, if you're not a member yet, you have access to over 100 hours on the membership for the second hour of the podcast, which we go way deeper, even certain things uh, we usually get censored for in the first hour. So you can sign up there on my website at veilofreality.com on the membership or veilofreality.com slash membership. And in the second hour, uh, yes, we expand on the dark triad type, uh, going beyond the psychological perspective and tie this into occult forces, entities, also self-created thought forms, how these entities feed through a person, the H. Smith syndrome, how low vibrational frequency or sadism uh, and inflicting pain is food for other forces. You know, that ties into the hyperdimensional matrix and all that attacks uh, into people's pathologies and shadow how dark tri-types are literally hosts for dark entities, even earthbound spirits, uh, the, the disease spirits of um, the spirits of diseased people that hang on in lower astral realm can attach to other people and live vicariously through them. Uh, I go deeper into Thomas Meyer's work again, who, if you could remember, um, you know, wrote this amazing book, The Spiritual Consequences of the COVID Vaccine on soul, spirit, and life after death. And he has done other work, really going deep, working with elemental forces. He's very perceptible, highly clairvoyant, and really understands the spiritual world and has a very spiritual scientific approach to it. And I'm really fascinated by this work in this one of his book about elemental forces and how our thought forms also create entities and forces that can come, us, can come back around hunting us, haunting us, so to speak. So I get all of this in the second hour. And thanks for listening. And you right back.